Hi, I'm Taban Sharesh, the host of That Something Within. My aim with this podcast is to have conversations with people from all walks of life to find out that moment where that something within was triggered for them to make changes in their life. I hope you enjoy listening to this and find inspiration in these stories. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Welcome to That Something Within. I'm so happy to be joined by Asma Khan this week, a renowned chef and restaurateur, and one that strives to inspire women to grow and achieve in all different areas. Um, Welcome, Asma. Thank you. I'm so excited for our conversation. I'm I'm very glad you asked me because, uh, you know, we go back a long way, you and me, and uh, we've never talked about, uh, you know, how I started, what I did. So I'm not really sure what you're going to ask me, but I'm looking forward to speaking to you. That's that's exactly it. Me too. I've been I mean, I've been meaning always to ask. And I guess this conversation is um, we'll hopefully just dig deep to find out what what that aha moment was, you know, that that's something within where it triggered and helped change the course of your life to where you are now. So with our conversation, I'm hoping that listeners realize that everyone has these moments. And when they make these decisions and these changes and they listen to that moment, then hopefully they'll realize how their journey actually transforms as it has with you. Um, So it would be great if you can just give us a quick intro into describing where you're at and what you're currently doing. And then we can go backwards from there. Okay, so I'm the founder and uh, the owner of Darjeeling Express. Uh, It's an all-female-run restaurant in Soho. But I began um, in a very different way. I began from the house, in fact, from the dining table where I'm sitting right now and uh, speaking to you. And I I began from home in 2012 uh, as supper clubs, and then I moved on to do a a brief uh, pop-up in uh, a restaurant kind of pub of a restaurant in Soho. Uh, and then finally, I opened Darjeeling Express in June 2017. And unfortunately, at the moment, we're closed because of the lockdown. And it will reopen 100%. I mean, I am a massive, massive fan. I absolutely love the food there. But also the concept of empowering women, and it's an all-women kitchen. Um, I think that's so, so different and um, incredibly empowering to women. I, I th- You know, in both our cultures, uh, we see a lot of the women in the kitchen cooking but actually turning it into a business and making them realize this is a business is is, is just phenomenal um I guess my first question is when did when or how did your love for food start I began cooking out of acute uh homesickness I uh was very uh frustrated uh very lonely I'd come to this country uh around 30 years ago, uh, in an arranged marriage, you know, and I came with very little idea of what it was to live in the West. Because 30 years ago, India was pretty much closed to, you know, uh, to outside, you know, influences. We we had state TV, we had state controlled media, and there was no internet or anything. And so I had no real kind of idea of what it was to live away from home, live in a country where it was so cold. Because, you know, I'd come from Calcutta where, uh, you know, winter is like three days. You kiss it and it goes away. 
And, uh, and so all of that was kind of a huge shock to me. And I got married very quickly. Uh, and I, I married a very liberal, highly educated person who told me, I don't believe in gender roles. You know, if you don't know how to cook, don't bother. I'll cook. Didn't say he was a pretty average cook and only knew how to make one thing. Uh, I was just so excited. I thought I was going to have the feast of my life uh, moving to Cambridge with this lovely gentleman cooking for me, my new my new friend uh, who I'd married. Uh, I was trying to find out what he was like. And uh, yeah, so it, was, it wasn't quite that way, the way I'd imagined the feast to be. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I had, was also trying to learn to cycle because I was so frustrated I could go nowhere. Uh, and, I, you know, there's only so much that you can walk. And I was learning to cycle. I cycled past a house where someone was making paratha, which is like literally my childhood bread. It's what we ate for special occasions. And I cried so much outside. I didn't have the guts to ring the doorbell and ask if I could eat that paratha with this person who made it. But that aroma, I realized one thing, that aroma took me home. And I realized that this is the way I am going to liberate myself, break these chains of grief and suffering and yearning for home. I was going to cook. I was going to fill my home, my kitchen with the aromas of, of home, just like that paratha was standing outside, you know, in the park outside this person's door who was making it. And for that moment, I had gone home. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to cook. I'm going to cook not just for myself. I don't want anyone else to stand outside and weep thinking of home when they smell the food, which is the food that you grew up eating. And so it wasn't just that I wanted to cook for myself. It was also at that point I decided I was going to cook and feed other people so that no one stood outside crying. I was never going to cry again because I couldn't cook. I was going to learn to cook. That's so, it's so comforting to hear because I remember when we first arrived as refugees here and I was six, um, my mum was very much like you, you know, completely alone. She had no family here apart from, you know, my dad and my brother and myself. But realistically, she was very, very much alone. And actually, food played a massive role for us and the whole family. Not only did it connect us to what we knew back home, you know, the comforts and the aromas would take us back home, but also it was a way of connecting the community. So she, she was constantly cooking for friends to come round and actually cooking was the key of us integrating into the community um so yeah that that really really resonates with me and I can I can just imagine you know especially the aromas taking you back back home um so what would you say was that moment that you decided to set up your own restaurant the there were two kind of big turning points when it came to food uh, one was that I realized that maybe there is something different about the way I cook. Uh, and that was many years before I actually did a supper club. And then, of course, you know, the offer of going and to the restaurant and having a look at a restaurant space. Uh, you know, we've all forgotten because there have been so many wars and genocides since then. But when Yugoslavia was, uh, the war in Yugoslavia, the siege of Srebrenica was lifted. Uh, the students at Cambridge, where I was living then with my husband, who taught at Cambridge, uh, they were raising money to equip an ambulance to go into Strabanitsa. Uh, mm. They asked me, because I just kind of, you know, I think I was just flooding the whole street 
of Cambridge with my samosas and kebabs that I was learning and practicing and perfecting. So these students came to me and said that, you know, uh, would you like to cook some samosas? I think you must make very good samosas. And I was like very embarrassed because I must realize that the entire student hall opposite us must have been dying because I was making samosas all night. And they said, and you know, I, 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 they told me you can sell it on the street and give the money to us. And a, a Middle Eastern man uh, of some kind of, you know, I, of course, then didn't understand accents so well. You know, I uh, bought three samosa, bought one samosa and then came back and bought three more and then gave me a very big note, which I thought was fake money because I'd never seen a 50 pound note. And this was a time when the 50 pound note was a lot bigger. I'm not sure whether you remember this, but oh, some wow. people who are older and my age will remember this, that there was the 50 pound note used to be bigger. And I took this to the student table and I said that someone gave fake money uh, for, and I gave it and he was still standing there. And I went back and they said, are you mad? It's not fake money. It's real money. He gave you 50 pounds <laughs> for three samosas. I went back and he said something really wonderful. He said, may Allah bless your hands. There is something wonderful about you and your food. And I think that this is going to make a big difference to many lives. Your food has something magical in it. And he walked off. And I oh, never wow. forgot that, ever. I often remembered, I remember his face. I don't know his name. I don't know anything else. He gave 50 pounds for three samosas and left. But it left in me this feeling that when he said, you know, may Allah bless your hands, it was such a, I'd never heard that before because it's not something people say in India. I know they say it in the Middle East. And I was like, you know, what a wonderful thing to say. There must be something nice about my food. It's not, you know, it's not just that, you know, poor students being very nice and saying how great my food is because they're so relieved to be eating homemade food. This man didn't have to say this and he said it and he you know, was very generous as well. So that stayed with me. And then I was, you know, doing supper clubs in my house because, you know, it, I kind of very gradual thing. I wanted to cook and I wanted to feed people. That someone told me about supper clubs, so I did it. But these were still very kind of, you know, diffused, you know, do I want to do it, not want to do it? It wasn't anything like a kind of big moment that I felt something from within that, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is my career. That really happened when I told my, at that time, I didn't know he was a landlord. I told a very regular customer at the place where I was doing a pop-up that I'm going to close next week because I've just discovered that my son hasn't written any GCSE geography notes. You know, I, I, all mothers will understand that <laughs> yeah. is like panic one month before the exams. And I, he told me, you're going home to write GCSE notes for your kid? I said, yeah, I'm going to sit. I'm going to write all his notes for him so that he passes and does really well in his GCSE geography. <laughs> and he was like, oh, my God. He said, you know, this is not how your story will end. And that made me stop. And he told me, you know, can you, are you free this afternoon? There's a space. Why don't you go and have a look at it? And because he said such a thing that your story doesn't end here, it was like a kind of hook. I thought, you know, okay, that's interesting. Wow. And to keep him happy, only to keep him happy, I went to Kingley Court to have a look at that site. But when I walked in, and it was then three little shops, you know, the walls were broken and then it was made into a unit. In that narrow shop with the there was a lot of light coming in through the, through the window on the top. And I suddenly felt something. I heard this, this small room full of people, noise of people eating. I actually literally almost smelt 
the food that I had cooked, my familiar masala smells and mm. aroma of biryani in that place. And I thought, this is really weird. In this small little place, you know, on a second floor, why do I suddenly feel a sense of homecoming? Uh, like, this is where I belong. And I, you know, told the person who took me there that, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd be interested. And what's the situation? She said, this is, you're very late in this whole process. We have 55 applicants. And I was like, oh, my God. And I said, who? She said, oh, very prominent people, prominent chefs, very powerful restauranters. You know, this is a, a, a very, you know, good location. And it's 55 people. But if you want, she gave me a week. She said, you've got to come and make a presentation about uh, how you, you know, your basically your business plan, you know, or your financials and your plan for the restaurant. And in one week, I, I, I did it all. But that wow. feeling that I was in a space, which yeah. not just that I belong there, but that place belonged to me. I felt that. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's exactly what it is. It's, it's something inside of you that just tells you this is it. Things are going to change and things will turn and change. And you somehow get that power. And it, it's, it's exactly what you've just described. Like To turn a business plan around in one week is... Um, is very difficult you know we all know how hard that is but when something is so right and it flows in the right di- direction then it happens with such ease as well um yeah but so my, my business plan was a disaster when it happened but I still got it but because it was meant to happen but yeah, yeah that one week business plan I, I memorized for four days but on the day of the presentation I couldn't do it and I did we- something else were you scared or fearful of any of the changes or making that business? Were you, were you scared at any point? I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. But what kept me going was that feeling when I walked into that space. I kept reminding myself that, you know, this felt right to you, Asma. Do it, do it, do it. Do not fear, do not fear. But despite all of that, you know, my business plan had been written by a wonderful friend of mine, uh, you know, a financial kind of wizard who made me memorize everything. But then I realized that I couldn't do it. And I contacted the landlord saying that I will struggle and I cannot do the business plan. So I cannot come and make a presentation. And he said, you've got to think about it because if you don't make the presentation, you know, you can't bid for that space. And I remember that, that, you know, that scene from, of Marlon Brando, where he said, at least I could have been a contender. And I called him back within a second and I said, I'm going to present, but I'm going to present lunch. I said, let me come and present you food. I cannot do the business plan. But because he was someone who believed in me having eaten my food in that pub for so long, he said, okay, I'll talk to everybody and say that you're going to come to present lunch, not the business plan. I presented lunch and over lunch where I served everybody with my team, all the food and dishes of my childhood. I talked to them and told them how badly I wanted that space. And that I was not able to present a business plan, but I promised them that my honor was very important. That the culture I come from, our honor is everything and our word is everything, that I would make sure that they would get their rent. But I cannot give, show them figures to explain this to them, but they need to take my word for it. My word and my culture means a lot. They need to believe that I will not, I will not make a loss, that I will not leave them without rent. And I think that, Everybody believed me 
one person who was their financial director was slightly skeptical, asked a few questions. I did tell him that, you know, if you don't give the space to me and I walk away, I'll come back to, in your dream every night because you will be wondering what happened to me. And, you know, don't do this. Don't close the door. Give me a chance because, you know, I'll haunt you because you'll know that you could have given me a chance and you chose not to. Uh, and when I left, he was standing. He was still standing. I walked out and told all the girls, we got it. Because when I turned around, the door hadn't closed, but he was still standing. And oh, wow. I knew that, you know, he understood. You have to believe in, in, in your vision so much, but you need to be able to also communicate it. Because it's not enough that the fire is inside. You set the fire outside. Set everything alight so that the world knows what you want. That you is very important. To, yeah. That take others on that journey with you to believe and see and also feel and that's exactly what you did and actually I've been to your restaurant so many times and I see how you not only just talk about the food but you tell the stories and it's it's like the food has soul and life and you you're there to share that and it's 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 so beautiful and unique I, I've not seen it anywhere else and I think I can imagine how they were completely won over by the lunch presentation. How 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 do you think your how do you think your life has changed after that? I my life changed very rapidly after the 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 restaurant uh, the restaurant uh, you know lease was given to me. It was all a huge rush, and I had to you know open raise money. All very nightmarish, but everything worked out. I think if you believe that it will happen, it happens. And I was completely convinced that, you know, this was my destiny. It felt right. You know, it was going to work. And very few, few months after we opened, and we were, you know, okay. We were doing well. We were busy. Uh, we, we had supper club clients. We had great reviews. People were very happy. Word of mouth. We were very full. But, you know, not like, you know, stuffed and not like you had a waiting list for three months or one year. Uh, then I got an email from Netflix uh, who came across me because I think they read an interview that I'd done, uh, you know, an all-female kitchen. I think they just started reading on me, listening to a lot of my interviews. Uh, because eventually when they got in touch with me and I spoke to that person, he had seen or read everything I'd ever said in my whole life. Wow. And, and it was, that's the kind of big change that happened because after the Netflix uh, episode was filmed and they had announced that I was the first British chef that they were going to feature and they'd already done six seasons without featuring any uh, British chef. Uh, it was a kind of huge turning point. Uh, the restaurant became... Uh, a place of great celebration for so many people, you know, who were excited that, you know, the restaurant had been picked. Uh, but also a lot of solidarity from women, I have to say, who were excited that the British person they picked was someone who looked and sounded like me. Yeah. That's that's really important, I think. Um, you know, it's it's not only just gives hope to other women, but, you know, the work that you do to support us as well is phenomenal. And that takes me on to the next question, which is you're very passionate about supporting and empowering other women. And 
Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that comes into your work as well? I I always felt that, you know, uh, I have almost a duty of care to other women because I've been very fortunate. Uh, I got the right breaks, you know. I was in the street corner with three samosas at a time when someone made me feel that there was something unique about me. I just happened to tell the landlord about the geography notes and I ended up getting the restaurant. Uh, I, you know, couldn't do the PowerPoint presentation with the business plan. I ended up feeding them and I realized that, you know, my storytelling together with food uh, is a very powerful medium of communication, far more than a PowerPoint presentation and numbers. And that I should not allow others to kind of push me into doing something because that's the norm. I I create my own path. I create my own uh, channel of communication. I talk, I feed, I serve, I clean your table. I will always come to everyone in my restaurant and speak to them as if they came to my home, you know, and I would talk to everybody who, who came to my house to eat. So all of that, you know, it, Everything changed because it is. It reminded me that you know you can be uh, a force for change for others, and I my life changed, and I was going to be that that person who changed other people's lives for the better, because I I was so grateful for little things that happened for those people who came in, literally the change makers who who just kind of passed my life and left, and changed everything for me. And I thought, I want to be that person. I want to breeze through someone's life. I want to lift them up. And I raise myself as well by doing that because I learn something. I feel a sense of fulfillment. Uh, I maybe learn a new skill or, or, or something. So it was by, to my benefit as well to be able to lift someone and see them grow. And I want that joy that you have, that someone you helped is now flying free. You know, as a child, my greatest joy was to release birds from cages. Got into oh. huge trouble with my neighbors. Everybody saw me as a troublemaker. I got punished. I had to pay my pocket money to my neighbor for releasing his very precious and expensive parrot. But I loved to release birds. I don't know. It was an obsession of a child. And now I know what it is. I wanted to see the bird fly. And yeah. this is why I support other women. Because... In my head, when I know that their life has taken a turn for the better, even if it is not changed drastically, uh, it's that bird, that bird moment where the bird flies. Yeah. And you don't just, you know, it's not just through, you know, you've got an all women kitchen. So they, they've all got stories of how you brought them in there, but also the charitable work that you do. I know that you help us with the Lotus Flower and the Lotus Flower Cafe. Um, so it's in different areas. It's not just in your kitchen, but also in your charitable work. And I, I think that's, you know, we need more women to be supporting other women and lifting them up. And it's just beautiful to see. Um, it, is, it is very important. And I think that, you know, if it, it is, you know, you know how privileged you are. You have food to eat. You know your children are being educated. You know your child is safe, is away from danger. Uh, you know, you, you know that it is, you know, hunger and, and thirst is not relentless. And, and fear 
you're not living with fear. You absolutely have a duty to try to help those who live with fear, who live with hunger, who live with thirst, who live without security. There is no justification not to support other people. And a lot of, you know, media vilifies refugees, vilifies immigrants. You need to fight back. You need to be the voice of the voiceless. If you are articulate, if you're in a position of strength, if you are powerful and you're someone that people look up to, don't talk about yourself. Don't talk about business. Don't talk about your achievements. Speak for them. Speak for them because they cannot speak. You're on stage. They're not. You stand on the stage. The spotlight hits you. You speak for them. You are their voice. It is absolutely your duty. Completely, completely. And I mean, for us, we're very, very grateful um, for the support that we get through the Lotus Flower and you coming back to Kurdistan with us in July was definitely the highlight of um, my Lotus journey. It was, it's just so nice for others to come and see what's happening and how we actually do the work and 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 that started from nothing. And also I think, so then my next question is, um, that's something within that happened when you walked into that restaurant and that aha moment, some people, a lot of people have it, but not everyone listens to it and feels feels it and follows it through. You did. Are you grateful that you did? Is there anything you would have changed or? Um, no, me, I, I, yeah. I'm very grateful. And I think that you must, I, I think at this time, especially, you know, there's a lot of darkness linked to this pandemic and the lockdown, but there is this, silver lining that a lot of us have found suddenly time to listen to our inner voice, listen to it, and then keep listening to it. When you go back to you, what will be the new normal? Remember that there is a voice inside you. There is a being inside you that you need to let out. You need to give them that space. Listen to your voice, your inner voice always, because that is really who you are. You are not what other people tell you you are. You are not what people put labels on you. You know, older, middle-aged, Asian, Muslim, woman, mother, wife. I take all these labels off. I will put my own label on myself because I listen to my inner voice. I will tell you who you are. You will not tell me who I am. And that identity, who I am, comes from my inner voice. It's really important. Live your life for what you were destined to do, not what other people think you should be doing. That's, that's, that's so, I could listen to you forever. Like the words that come out of your mouth are like poetry. Um, it's, it's so, so true. I think for me as well, I've, I've learned to really listen to my inner voice and it's the only thing that's got me to where I am. And I really wish that other people would start really tapping into that and not be as scared and I guess this is the whole aim of the podcast is to make realize that there is an inner voice that tells you something. There's that something within that makes you jump and move. And actually, sometimes listening to that is the best decision that you can make. Um, but it's really, really understanding and learning how you go back and learn to listen to yourself. You're a great example of someone who who does that beautifully. And um yeah, I, I personally am very, very inspired by you and I love the work that you do. And 
this has been a wonderful conversation. I Is there anything else that you'd like to add or for the listeners to hear from you? I just wanted to mention very briefly, but my visit to Kurdistan with, with you and going to the Lotus Cafe was deeply humbling because I actually saw that, you know, the effort and passion that you had in trying to make a difference to the lives of these women, you saw it in their eyes. You saw, you know, that they felt empowered. They felt that someone cared for them and they felt there was a future. And I think this is, this is such a beautiful feeling. And try doing it. Try lifting people up. You don't need to go all the way to a Yazidi refugee camp to do this. You can do this with your own family, with, a, with someone next to you, your colleague, your neighbor. Try and support them and see the difference and see how good it makes you feel. That's that's so true. That's so true. I think for me, you know, a lot of people search for their purpose in life. I've just been very, very lucky to have found it very early on and have managed to take that step. And it's true. You don't you don't need to go afar to do these things. You can literally do it with anyone that's close by. But the moment you help someone rise up and support them in anything, it's just it's a beautiful journey of unfolding for you to watch. And that brings me so much joy. Um, so thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, we are going to end it now. Sadly, I could talk to you forever. I honestly could. Uh, we will continue the discussions and hopefully you never know, we'll have you on in future. Thank, um, you. thank you so, so much for your time. And um, if there's anything else you'd like to let us know, please do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thaban. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That's Something Within. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe found inspiration in the stories. If you'd like to get in contact about any of today's points, you can find me at Taban Shiresh on social channels. Remember to follow me to get updates on future episodes and remember to share the podcast. We're really looking forward to having you tune in for the next episode.